Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So welcome to Fertility Life Raft Live with me, Alice Rose, and I am joined today by the wonderful Sean Greenaway from Knackered Knackers, which is an inspired Instagram handle, by the way. Absolutely love it. So I am really happy that we're having this conversation. I was just chatting about you on Instagram, actually, before we went live, and I was saying that you went through this yourself. So you went through a fertility journey, story, experience, whatever, yourself. You're now a dad to donor-conceived twins. Is that right? I've got that right, Absolutely. haven't I? Dad yes. yeah. now, but that's correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are also a male fertility advocate. So you're speaking about this. You're, you've just We've just uh, met recently in real life. Life, didn't we at the fertility show which was great and you are a trained coach and we're gonna have a little chat about that as well which is so exciting for me like I absolutely love talking to other coaches especially when they've done the same training that I did so that's really exciting do you want to just tell a little bit more about your experience and why you do what you do absolutely well thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here thank you for having me so yeah you mean you hit the, the chronology there perfectly that was the order in which it all happened <laughs> and uh, to put a bit more meat on the bones so to speak in 2017 my wife and I started trying to conceive and like everyone does really you just assume it's going to happen almost straight away kind of she came off the the contraceptive pill and we we knew that it may take a, a few months to kind of work its way out of the system so we didn't put any pressure on ourselves and um towards the summer really started trying in earnest and it wasn't happening and kind of then towards the end of the year it was that time where my wife started checking the ovulation and saying like can you come home right now stuff like that you know I kind of look back on that time and smile at the almost the blissful naivety of it um because I, I was just neither of us knew what was to come towards the end of the year it wasn't happening so we went to the doctors and thankfully our concerns were taken seriously because obviously i'm sure everyone's heard of stories or unfortunately maybe have had experience where doctors have said to go away and come back in a year 18 months two years whatever and but thankfully we were referred for tests or both of us <laughs> despite me having had a history of having mumps um and crucially with that it was i had it when i was 22 which is post-puberty because it my balls swelled up really big and, and and it's actually that damage that is is widely kind of considered to be what, what caused my infertility despite having that and knowing that they still referred both of us because uh, as we know that um infertility is often deemed to be a more of a, a female issue which is clearly not the case it's split equally between men and female and, and unknown and um i went for a 
my first ever sperm analysis, uh, which is quite an experience in itself, and um, to provide the sample. And, and I received a phone call while I was at work, early 2018, tell me that I had azoospermia. But um, the person who, who was phoning me to deliver that news, I don't think was medically trained. I think perhaps was a receptionist at the doctor's and certainly hadn't proofread the letter before reading it to me and was really kind of stumbling on the word azoospermia. It was kind of azoospermia. And I, so I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, I don't know. All I'm phoning you to tell you is this is what the results say and that you need to come back in three months and, and do another sample. So got off the phone and got straight onto Google to find out that that meant that I had no sperm, which was quite simply a life-changing moment. And then having to phone my wife to tell her as well. Both of us were at work, not with each other. And that then began what was years of, of pain, really. And, and I, I describe it as being swept along in a tide and, and you're just trying to keep your head above the water. Sometimes you get dragged down, other times you, you come back up and you get a gasp of air and you get dragged down again. Other times you're kind of floating and you think, well, where are we going? You're almost in the doldrums. And because that, that you know, it's a whole new world as well. All these words such as azoospermia and, and just the whole fertility treatment world, it, you get thrust into it and you never expect to be there. And suddenly you're having to navigate this whole painful new world new journey and, and and it's very very hard the whole of 2018 for us was tests analysis poking prodding blood tests and when you've got a wife who has a, a needle phobia that's extremely hard as well and i've lost count of the amount of times she fainted battling the nhs to try and get funding because of the, the postcode lottery and all the hoops you have to jump through and then kind of 2019 picked up pace a bit and i had two operations one in march a very kind of minor operation a varicocele embolization because I also have a varicocele above my left testicle, which can be a cause of infertility in its own right. Whether that's the cause or whether it was the mumps, I've never had that confirmed. But ultimately, I'm not pushing for that answer because the result is the same. That operation didn't have any impact. So it was waiting again. So I had the operation in March 19. I had to wait for three months for the sperm cycle to regenerate, which is three months and 90 days. And as anyone will know, in this horrible place that we find ourselves in, waiting is one of the hardest things. We had pinned a lot of hope on that operation, actually. And when I got the results to say that there was still no sperm, that was the real crushing moment for us. And to really add to that horrible moment, we had received a, call, a train station car park because I was about to head off into work and a lady walked past with her pram in front of the car. So we just hit absolute rock bottom at that point. And um, in August of 2019, I then had a bigger operation, which was a micro which cut both of my testicles open looking for sperm directly. That was also unsuccessful. As soon as I came around from, from the anaesthetic, the, the, the urologist and nurse broke the news to us. But by that point, and, and the thing is, you know, as you'll know, Alice, when I'm summing up four years of real deep and dark moments and pain and trauma and you kind of almost do yourself an injustice but the way I'm whizzing through it but I'm conscious of you know <laughs> I could speak for the whole hour just on our journey yeah. but by this point this was just for closure I actually didn't have well I wasn't holding up much hope for the result and and that was just confirmation really I'd asked myself the question of what would I regret least would it be having the operation or not having it and always having that question mark so Towards the end of 2019, we, we progressed to use donor sperm, which we'd already been discussing a lot over the last year or so. And um, the reason I don't ever say, unfortunately, that operation didn't work, or unfortunately, the second one didn't, because we used donor sperm and we ended up with our beautiful twins, Ray and Evelyn, who were born in February of 21. 
Um, so again, the whole of 2020, or well, the first half of 2020 was also more <laughs> disappointment. IVF cycles not working, my wife getting seriously ill. But um, yeah, we were blessed in February 21 with, with, with them. And it's uh, been a, a, a crazy ride since, really, since I put myself out there and decided to be what I needed. And that was a man talking about it because I couldn't find anyone. And that's partly why my own healing took so long because I was having to navigate it on my own. I recoiled from having any kind of therapy or counseling that the clinic put on because they were females and I just didn't feel that I'd be heard and I felt that they'd be judging me. And I know they're professionals. I know this, how stupid this might sound, but it's not because when you're in that moment and you're thinking that you're less of a man and your identity has really been hit, your ego is taking a huge blow because that's what you, you're brought up almost to believe that it's a right uh, and that we should all, of course, you know, we should, but as the World Health Organization classes it as it's a disease, so and it's a disability. And unfortunately, when you're finding that yourself in that situation, especially as a man, when there's no other people talking about it, it's a hard place to be. So I did it on my own, and then I decided I need to be what I, what exactly what I needed. And so I just started putting myself out there, and it's taken me to some very amazing places, and and I've met so many fantastic people such as yourself. I could just sit and listen, like you just then when you were saying, you know, I, I could just, you know, spend ages talking about this. I was like, carry on. I'm so like, you're such a good speaker because you, <laughs> I just want to hear more about everything. It's such a difficult journey that you went through, Sean. And um, and thank you for putting yourself out there and for sharing it because you're absolutely right. Like there's only actually a handful of men that I've spoken with actually, like since I started doing all of this five and a half years ago. And that is really mostly because it was, it's hard to find um men to who are who are happy to kind of share not just their experience of fertility but particularly when it's a male fertility diagnosis as well and all of the stuff that you had to go through and you know just to come back to that when you heard the news and the receptionist didn't obviously had never even heard of azospermia and didn't know how to pronounce it and didn't know what it was I feel like almost that almost sums up the issue with with male fertility is that it People haven't got a blooming clue. And, you know, I actually remember the first time I think I ever heard of azospermia was actually at Fertility Fest, which was um, like a, a, a an art an art festival that was put on by the amazing Jessica Hepburn, who we both saw at the fertility show, actually, and, and her partner, but uh, her business partner. And there was a man who stood up and started talking and he did a poem about it and it was really moving. And then he and, and I remember really specifically him standing on the stage and saying that word azospermia no sperm and I was like oh fuck tell me a bit more about how you navigated that time of your life you know I you, your wife you said had a needle phobia it must have been so hard honestly sometimes I don't even know it, it was so hard particularly because I just couldn't find any men talking about it. I couldn't find any support groups I, I trawled the internet I remember I found some really old crusty website and it was like <laughs> not even it wasn't even compatible for mobile it was that old it was like ms-dos or something and it hadn't been updated for probably 10 years or something it was american and i looked through that and it was just it was no good and that's the only thing i found i trawled social media no one nothing so i went inwards and any of your members who are here because of male factor infertility probably have experienced the same with their male partner because that Education isn't out there at school. Sex ed, we are taught that if you get even naked near a girl, there's a chance that you're going to knock her up, which is just absolute nonsense. And it's all about contraception and being careful. Quite rightly, that conversation is an important one and 
just in the news the other day, it was saying about gonorrhea and syphilis is now on the rise again. But I think there needs to be a wider conversation about fertility issues and just how big it is because World Health Organization say one in six people will experience it. And, and it's completely indiscriminate of your background, race, country, income. It affects anyone and everyone. And that really needs to be talked about more. And even in the medical world, I've talked about having mumps. 2005, I was 22 years old. I was extremely ill for three weeks, like bedridden. And not to mention the fact that my balls were huge. Like there was literally no more expansive space taught. And um, I would go to the doctors for blood tests and and when they were trying to diagnose what it was, and then it was confirmed as mumps. Did any of them say, oh, by the way, this can be an, an impact on fertility? No, not before, not during, not after. And it's not a stretch. It's not like I went in with a broken arm and they, yeah. they might not make the link. It's to, a to known fertility. link. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But not to mention the fact that my, my balls are so damaged and big and like, you know, it, that's the, the same body part that I just can't understand how there was nothing. And this is because it's 2005, smartphones weren't a thing. So Google wasn't as accessible as it is today. I, I can't even remember if we had a home computer. The internet wasn't yeah. thing because it was still old school like you go to the library to do your research and that's 2005 fast forward to six years 2011 I was in the shower doing the checks that every man should do in, in that area and I found a lump and I remember calling my wife in and she was saying we need to get to the doctor so I called up got referred went to um, an ultrasound and the sonographers dismissed it straight away because don't worry and he showed me on um on, on the screen don't worry it's just a cluster of tubes because obviously I'm worried about a tumour. He's looking for a tumour. Yeah. Don't worry. It's just a cluster of tubes. That was his exact words. That just a cluster of tubes was a varicocele. Again, like I mentioned earlier, a cause of infertility in its own right or can severely damage any sperm that is being produced. But that kind of lack of knowledge in the medical world. And again, it's not a stretch. It's the same area. How is that link not being made? And because I'm not being told this by medical professionals, I'm just going off, kind of getting on with things like, you know, when I had mumps, I was worried, most worried that I wasn't going to make my lad's trip to Magaluf. And that was my major concern. And then I managed to make it in time. I lost about a stone in weight. And I was like, happy days. I'm looking good. Beer gut's gone. Let's go. And you just kind of carry on. It's only later in life, and I say like when I went to the doctors, I kind of had that in my mind about mumps, but that came years down the line when I would be, because I had a picture of, of my hugely swollen balls and I would show it like a badge of honour, like, yeah, look at this. Huh? It was only when someone at work in kind of canteen culture, and I'll never forget this word, because at the time it meant nothing to me, but now I hate it. He said, oh, you know, that can make you sterile. Oh, and oh. yeah, and I hate that word so much because it's just awful and I, for example on, on the female side I, a lot of people I speak to say yeah their, their equivalent of that is barren they're just really horrible words so having that almost word of mouth knowledge of, of what mumps can do is why I went to the doctors I still hadn't even particularly googled it at that point the language we use and just to you know and I, I it comes up a lot on, a lot on this podcast but it's so so important but god everything you're saying here it just when when you put it all together and you zoom out you it's unbelievable that nobody actually at any point raised that this could lead to fertility problems like that that just blows my mind that that I mean, I'm hopeful that thanks to people like you and thanks to the conversations that are now out there and the social media that's there and there are more places to get support now, but it's still like 
we need much more awareness about male fertility. We need more and more men talking about it. We need to understand just having normal conversations about it because it's, it is a bit of a taboo, isn't it? And do you think it's harder for men to talk about? Yeah, it's harder for men to talk about anything, which is a huge problem. And, and it's kind of the well publicized stats on uh, suicide in men being the biggest killer under the age of 50 because men aren't talking, they're not opening up. And a perfect example of this is, so when I put myself out there about my infertility, uh, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine contacted me and said, tell me about his depression and, and mental health issues, uh, struggles. And my initial reaction was, I was a bit taken aback and I was like, but that's not what I'm talking about. He said, no, no, that's not the point. It's the fact that you've opened up. I'm telling you, and I've never told anyone else apart from my wife. And, and obviously the doctor who he was seeking help through. And I was blown away because that that was a real lesson for me, actually, to know that it's not what you open up about. It's the fact that you're opening up and men just need to do that more. The kind of conversation around mental health is growing, but it still shows that the fact that he. So that was two years ago now when I first started talking about it. He'd been suffering and struggling for years and not told me even when I was working with him and we'd had many beers. It was never something that came up. And he's now considering what he can do to help and get the word out and that's it's like a snowball effect and, and one day maybe we'll be where you ladies are because you're so much better at talking and and it's not a weakness to open up we all have something and that's the key element is when I was in that place where because I couldn't find anyone else talking about it I assumed I was the only one and and that is the most dangerous place to be because you become isolated I'd started pushing my wife away and, and shutting off from her and and really went inside myself and was going through what I didn't know at the time was was grief and and I can almost remember each stage of it I was just being dragged unconsciously through this guilt anger depression denial blame and all, all the kind of parts of it I remember just being angry all the time first thing in the morning and and assuming it's because I was going to work or because of this project or deadline or whatever but no it, it was this big umbrella of infertility it was like a shadow always there you see a, a family of kids and, and suddenly that sadness that horrible twinge of sadness it just gets you in the gut would kick in and it's omnipresent it's always there it's always in the back of your mind it's like a, I think I described it before it's like a spectre in the corner of the room just always there to remind you and by opening up that's what then started my healing process once you start talking or writing it down, for example, once it's out of your mind, you suddenly start to rationalise those thoughts and feelings. You start to find answers. My wife was knowing that this was going to help me, but she was trying to almost push me at first. And I was recoiling from that and it was just pushing me further away. So she kind of learned and adapted to be more gentle and that I would find my own pace. But there is a balancing act with that because there has to be gentle encouragement because you can't let someone go off completely into the darkness on their own. But I was consuming a lot of very good content in terms of people that had not gone through the same, but life-changing stories such as Henry Fraser. Um, his book, The Big Little Things, changed my life. And that is not even over-exaggerating. <laughs> Why did it change your life? Henry Fraser, for anyone who hasn't heard of him, he's amazing. He very sporty family his brother was a professional rugby player Henry was potentially on the way to become that he was a very talented rugby player and when he was 17 he was on holiday in Portugal with his mates playing rugby on the beach and then they all ran and jumped into the sea but the sandbanks had shifted and they've been jumping in that same sea all week 
he dived in and there was a sandbank where there wasn't previously and he broke his neck and he has no movement from his neck down. The little big things is all based on the gratitude he felt for the smallest things in life, like being fed for a tube for months and then suddenly his first sip of water. And we all just dismiss water as tasteless. He was saying that first sip of water and actually feeling it in his mouth and go down oh, into his body. He said he, he, he felt every bit of it. He said he's never been so happy to drink a, a drop of water the first time because when he was first in hospital he was in a, a windowless room so the first time firstly he was able to get a room with a window and look outside but then even more so when he was first able to get wheeled outside in a wheelchair and feel the sun on his face the, the extreme gratitude he felt for that and even talk about it makes me feel emotional because like it, mm. it helped me so much yeah but the, the the letters and cards he got from friends and just the small words that they would use and I read that and it started making me think of all the things I had to be grateful in life because I had this huge loss. And and and, and Henry talks about that. It's, it's his superpower now, it's his strength. Reading that, even though it's not directly the same as what I went through, but the message is the same of surviving and thriving. He's now a very well-established mouth, mouth artist because all he can move is, is his head. So he started with a stylus on an iPad painting stuff and you should see his art it's incredible but he started with words and i bought two and had them in frames they become they became kind of mantras from my infertility journey so one was accept and adapt the other one was every day is a good day reading his story on the beach in the south of france a month after having my micro teasy even though I, like i said earlier look, i kind of done a lot of exploration and discussed using donor sperm prior i still hadn't reached full acceptance it's like getting over a hurdle you've, or climbing over a wall. You think you're there, you think you're at the top, but it's then getting over the other side, actually, is the last bit. And that book was essentially what did it for me. I read that on the beach and we went back to our little campsite. I, I started writing in my iPhone notes and that starting to write, wow. Well, that essentially became knack of knackers, my, my Instagram, what I started writing. So I'm forever grateful to Henry Fraser. It was him and other people as well, other stories, other podcasts, and, and that showed me that, there is something on the other side of, of deep pain and, and trauma. Wow. Oh, that is so moving. I had actually heard of his story before, but I, I had forgotten who, what his name was and actually what happened and how incredible that, and as you said, it's like a snowball effect. So you started talking about this and then your friend, you know, messaged you who opened up about depression, anxiety. Henry Fraser went through what he went through, wrote about it, put it out there. And it's, changed your life it's really incredible what happens when we are living authentically and being truthful and just allowing ourselves to, to just be and just for a moment just taking away all of the the assumptions and preconceptions that we've got about what other people are going to think when we just live our lives and be who we are like actually what happens when we simply accept what's happened and we're able to go through that pain and get to the other side is that we help other people and that's an incredible thing to be able to do and not that that's to put pressure on anyone listening who's going through this that you know that they have to go away and help other people that's not it at all but it's simply to allow yourself to move through each stage of your own journey truthfully right and to just give yourself what you need at each at each point but what what an incredible story about that book that's what changed my life as a book you know and mm. it's incredible what finds its way to you in these dark times the exact story the exact person the exact words 
are out there for people you know if if it if it's this podcast that inspires you to go out and find something that resonates with you then that's amazing if it's if it's a book like the Henry Fraser book for you and for me as I always tell people it's the artist's way by Julia Cameron which changed my life and it leads you to this path of kind of healing and this this incredible story of of inner exploration after going through such a such a difficult time I feel like I could really go down that road because I find that this is like something that I'm I just feel so strongly about because it's so positive to hear that there are ways that we can actually get past that dark time and know that there is a there is a way through so that was your story then you found Henry Fraser it changed your life you came into acceptance and then you went through donor conception tell me about that experience for me and everyone is different in in how they can come to terms with it for me it was a quite a simple decision to make the, the longer part was getting over my infertility rather than moving forward with donor sperm in my experience I just had to look at my immediate family my grandfather on my dad's side was not my paternal genetic grandfather he was married to my nan before I was even born so he, he was the only grandfather I ever knew on that side and he was everything a granddad should be. I loved him dearly. That that was one element. And the other one was the fact that both mine and my wife's parents are both divorced and remarried. And it's just looking at that love we have for our step-parents. And for me, that was a simple step because I had a very first-hand experience of, of the fact that love is not built on, on DNA and a biological link. That love is, is something that which is kind of it's just very natural and it's about effort and that to and fro and it, it's learned and earned and it's it's deep it's as deep as you as you want to make it it's only yourself that can hold that back I defy anyone with biological children to say that they love their kids more than me because I just it is not possible it is it's amazing and everyone it's a very personal choice it might not be for everyone that's fair enough just because it's worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for the next person some people really cannot get their head over it around it. That's fine. It's important that you make the decisions to, to progress with donor sperm or eggs, embryos, whatever it is you're choosing. That those decisions are made with full authenticity and it's made with the best of intentions for the future child or children because they will not heal your infertility. That trauma, that pain will always be there in some respect, but it gives you a more it gives you that family that you want. It may be a slightly different picture to, to how you initially thought and, and you know grow up believing, but you have to bear in mind the children because you have to bear in mind that they are going to have a more complex story. And it's one that cannot just be pushed aside because it comes up all the time. They get ill, you go to the doctors a lot or hospital or whatever. And, oh, have you got any history of this in the family? Well, straight away, you have to say, we don't know 50% of that. We know what the, our donor put on the form, which was no known medical history. So everything's a big unknown. Mm. It's the conversation of resemblance, which comes up all the time. It's ingrained in, in us to, to talk about that. Twins, for example, oh, do you have twins in the family? And my daughter's got ginger hair. Or do you have ginger hair in the family? And you are constantly reminded. So you have to be fully aware of, of what you're entering into. And, and But I can fully... <laughs> vouch for the fact that the love the pure love just outweighs any any element of, of those complications oh amazing and when you were making that decision I expect as you said like it had been talked about a little bit before you actually got to that point anyway because of all of the you know you were saying your micro was almost that like closure so it, it had come up before then 
how did you and your wife just like how how did it affect your wife like was she well talk, talk, I mean obviously you can't speak for her <laughs> but I'm just interested in like that conversation between you and um for those listening who who might be in that similar situation what what what, what was that like we became so much closer as a result and stronger as a result of this and we actually talk so much more now and once I started opening up we just had really better and more in-depth conversations and I was just a typical bloke before that very base and I didn't have feelings or emotions no 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 <laughs> my, my only feeling I ever get is Saturday mornings with a hangover that's a feeling that's an emotion isn't it I, we just opened up and I've actually had to lean on her a lot when sharing my story because quite simply I forgot much of it because of probably shock and trauma as attending appointments and coming out and kind of saying what was discussed there and and she would kind of go back over it with me. And when I was initially planning to put myself out there, I was having to timeline stuff. And there was bits that I just completely forgot. A big tip, what I did to kind of bring myself present in appointments, because I realised I wasn't ever taking stuff in because it was life-changing news, but I started taking notes. And that's my own kind of what helped me a lot and then stopped me putting so much burden on my wife at the appointments as well. But um, she was very supportive. We both had a kind of a couple of mottos, one, one being that we hadn't come this far to only get this far. So that kept us pushing through some of the hardest times. And also we both knew that the destination was was child, was, was baby. The route in which we were to get there was going to be look different, was going to have multiple variations. And so we discussed all options, um, including kind of adoption. And she actually, despite not having, like all of her tests were, were good, she actually offered to use donor eggs as well so like donor embryos she said well you know so we were in it together then and and i i it's a tremendous kind of gesture but i felt that we were going to have a very complicated and complex story moving forward anyway like i said about medical history and stuff so why double that and almost saw it as yeah like a very kind offer but for example her our niece on her side even though it's her sister's child she is a spitting image of my wife so i would just look at her and be like i'm going to lose that chance of resemblance and people saying oh you're just like your dad and I, I came to terms with that but I felt that it was unnecessary for my wife to have to go through that as well and also when it came to adoption which is something we we're very open to as well but I felt that she may have looked back and, and had not having had that chance to carry a baby if it was there I felt that she may regret that so we discussed that and I said look I'm fully on board with this you don't have to try and make it equal that's something that's lost to me now but I, I know that I have so much more to give as, as a father and that is not dependent on, on genetics and yeah she was brilliant she like I said before she um learned kind of how to deal with me how to gently push but to not too hard not to back off completely there's kind of a very dynamic middle ground to, to take that's really key actually isn't it and um, first of all what wow that's an incredible um story of kind of teamwork I want to say but well relationship you know building in terms of really going through that together to the point where you know she was able to say look I'm so we're so in this together that I'm uh, what about what about this option me that donated eggs as well that's that's incredible. But you decided to go down the route of kind of actually let's keep it as simple as possible, even though it's not at all simple, but let's let's go down that road. And what you were saying there is so interesting for me as well to hear from your perspective, because it's it's definitely, and this is a massive generalization, but for women, you know, who are in a partnership with a, with a man, often it is the the woman, right, who's kind of like out there and kind of changing things and, you know, talking and whatever, be, being the one that 
tends to tends to do all of the things and try to get the man to you know open up and whatever and I can definitely relate and you know Simon and I have spoken about it a lot but we did get to a point where I was getting so frustrated because I felt like I was the one like kind of doing everything and I didn't see him doing anything and I was like come on I'm like changing everything I'm eating I'm doing this that and the other all the rest of it and actually what I also had to learn sounds like your your wife almost kind of went on a similar thing was that yes I could kind of say to him look I need you to do this or can we have this conversation or whatever and in terms of his own processing and he you know everything that was going on for him obviously completely different story but just in that dynamic middle ground that you mentioned there that's the thing that really spoke to me because it's that idea of we can't make anyone else do their own healing or we can't make anyone else kind of see things from a different perspective it it really is around not letting them go so far down that black hole by themselves you know we've we, we're there for them but we we can't do it for them you know that and that's what I really had to learn in, in my own relationship too is that kind of I'm here and I'm listening like for whatever you're going through and he doesn't mind me sharing that he's you know been through a lot of generalized anxiety disorder so he's he's been dealing with anxiety for for years and years so that's something that is really difficult as a man actually to talk about and panic attacks and you know all of that really not understood at all very well um particularly for men but for me you know I'm always like well go and do this or go and do that you know solution minded kind of person but that it doesn't work like that and actually coming on to the next chapter of your story here my training as a coach really helped me understand this you know like when I first started I'd say when I first started my Instagram I was like it's fine I, I can I can really help people here and I can you know I know how to you know I can show you kind of how to get through this to a point that's true and I've got lots of things that I can share and that I can teach but at the same time what's what I've really really learned in my own relationship and over the last five and a half years of doing this and through my coach training and practice now is really it's about holding that space isn't it for people and about hearing them and listening to what they need and where they are and that your way is not necessarily going to be their way and all of that and I think that that's one of the most crucial switches when it does come to supporting other people and um and helping other people find their own way through is that dynamic middle ground that you you say there absolutely and and to come back to a point you made earlier I think so many women do this completely almost shouldering the burden and doing so much research and when whereas the bloke is almost taking a step backwards and, and even if it's not male infertility we, we're good at doing that as men we're outsourcing the kind of all of the burden on on the lady because you know you you, you girls are strong and and men have got so much further to come and my wife carried me she took on the mantle of infertility for us and shrouded it from me because I was not coping with it. I had not come to terms with it. So she, we were a couple facing fertility struggles. She didn't tell anyone that it was me. And by and large, the way society is, people just assume it's her. She was not going to social engagements, not seeing friends as much to protect me because there were awkward questions being asked all the time, or it was exposing her to, as we know, that those well-known triggers with around children and stuff or people that are having them. So she, yeah, she, she fully took on my pain and, and and helped me through it and dragged me through it at, at times because I, I was really struggling. But like you said, it's, people have to be ready. And I actually heard a wonderful analogy the other day, and I have to share it because it's perfect as to what you said. There's a man on earth. He's got a like a big overcoat on, like almost like a shroud. And the wind and the sun are having a conversation about who's more powerful. So the wind says, "I'm way more powerful than you. I'll get. I'll blow that." coat off him in no time so the wind blows hard 
the bloke can brace his pulls his uh, coat on shroud on a bit tighter and the wind goes don't worry I'll do it literally gale force winds is, is sending down and, and this bloke he just holds it tighter and goes further and closer within himself and like a like an armadillo with his the outer shell is, is just getting more impenetrable because he's pulling it closer so the sun goes okay my turn and he just shines just shines creating the warmth and the, the man takes the coat off himself the wind could not make him take it off the sun made that man decide I'm going to take this off and that is about meeting people where they are you can only be willing to start to accept and change once you are ready. And that's why I'm saying there is that, it's it's almost intangible and impossible to describe, but it's that middle ground because, and you have to be dynamic times that learning where you can do a gentle nudge. Okay, well, if, if, if the partner starts opening up a little bit, encourage them to speak, reach out to others, because I can wholeheartedly say that is the true place where, where healing is, is once you start sharing. And that doesn't mean that everyone has to put themselves on, out on Instagram and share their full story. Everyone is different. Opening up what that means to you is going to be different for everyone. But I can truly say that the moment I told my friends, yeah, I didn't even know I was going to do this. We started opening up and telling our friends May 2020 when we finally were having the, the IVF round that was the one that became successful. We started telling everyone and that day was one I'll never forget my friends reactions and I'm talking what people would call alpha males like good at football handsome blah 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 all that nonsense that actually you know doesn't mean a thing that at the time I was still placing a lot of value onto that they were amazing they, they were my friends since I was five and then kind of told the core group and, and also other members of our immediate family who weren't brought into the story who had actually been told to never ask us stuff again because they were being so insensitive. That moment, when you're bringing people in, you may feel that you're doing people a favour by not sharing your burdens and your pain. You think, oh, they don't, they've got stuff going on. They don't need to know, know this. But actually, it's, it's a real gift to share what you're going through with other people and giving them the opportunity to help you. And that is the real gift, is you're not burdening someone by telling them. You are allowing them to honour their position as your friend, your relative, whatever it is, and, and allowing them to try and help you. It's actually more selfish by keeping it inside. And I can say this because I did it. <laughs> and But that's like yourself with the coaching. So I, I just started sharing my story. And for two years, that took me, like I said, it took me in places I never would have imagined. But that was my subjective story. And I kind of was going through it, through it chronologically. And I kind of got to the end of that. And, and that story will always go on because my thoughts and feelings change. Different perceptions come up. I'll always be living as a, well, an infertile man and, and a donor recipient father. So there will always be stuff to write about. But I kind of wrote about my story from backwards to the present. And I was kind of like, well, how can I further put out that support to men and that help uh, so I spoke to Natalie Silverman who put me in contact with you and to talk about the coaching and oh it's just been you know we did the same thing with a transformative coaching diploma and it had such a, a transformation on myself as well mm. um but yeah, yeah I can oh yeah it's, it's, it's amazing it's made me even more like rounded person after the infertility did a lot this is you now pushing on a bit more I wanted to, like you said, you know, our story is our story. How we got through stuff is how we got through it. That can change or will change to everyone. Everyone's different. And that's the beauty of life. Is, yeah. But I, I wanted to be able to objectively help people rather than just share what helped me because that it's not one size fits all. Absolutely. I, d I couldn't relate more with the, with the when I went through my own um coach training it, it it is it's like a experience for yourself as well it really is an incredible um skill to learn and then to craft over over time as you you know as you as you 
as you build up that practice and it's such a it's such a different thing to kind of share it I mean sharing your story is incredible and then to learn how to then hold that space for other people to the point where you're able to understand that you're not there to fix you're not there to push a solution on them and really it's that journey that you go on together with your client it's really it's really special and I think that's what um exactly that idea of like no one size fits all is what we teach inside my membership inside the life raft where it's really about me just reminding people all of the time about their the own agent the, the agency that you have the ownership that you do have day to day even though you feel so out of control and you, you you are out of control in many ways but there are lots of things that you can do to own each stage of it whether it's to find that book that you found you know that changed your life whether it's to do the artist way like me or whatever it is there's going to be something that you can do day to day, which which gives you back that power, gives you back that idea that you're not just, you know, and I love the analogy you used at the start there where you just like get dragged down under the tide and sometimes you're drifting along and you don't know where it is uh, because it ties in really nicely with the life raft and the idea that we are, you know, it is, it is like sailing on the sea where you don't know if there's going to be like a whirlpool with like a three-headed like Greek monster underneath or whether you're going to have like an amazing time, you know, blitzing through the waves with the sun shining and the wind in your sails but if you're able to kind of stock up your supplies on that life raft which is what we teach inside my membership then that's when you're gonna be able to to manage each part of that you know and if you do get sucked down in that tide learning how to manage it when you're down under there and what you can do and whether it is just to kind of almost like coming back to the that story around the wind and the sun and the coat and do you hold on or do you let go or what, it, what you know at what part do you do which thing <laughs> and and really understanding that you do have more agency than that that was a long old ramble excuse me for going off on one there <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 it's so relevant and it's not our choice to be in the situation but it's our choice how we cope with it and what we do to move forward exactly that oh Sean it's been such a brilliant pleasure talking to you and my member here just saying thank you so much for sharing your story your pain and your joy it's so moving and inspiring it is it really is I'm considering using an egg donor but struggling with the acceptance part and grief of my genetics and I'm sure lots of people listening to this if you're in that position will be in that in, in that kind of struggle with the acceptance part um I will look for that book she says and tell my husband to listen to the replay yeah it's so helpful Sean to hear hear from a man that we just don't get enough of and I do want I'd, I'd, I'd like to um make sure as many people as possible hear this episode so if you're listening right now and you found this helpful please do share it please do review it please do tell people about it because Sean is doing an incredible job here and it's not just about telling your story but also giving that hope um and for me whenever I say sharing hope it's always around actually hope that there's somewhere to go beyond that darkness and that's not necessarily a baby although we hope so but it's the idea that you can get through that grief and to the other side you know that there is a way through through that and and of course the hope is always there there's there's always hope um and you share that so beautifully so thank you very much where can people find you and contact you and work with you tell us everything uh so at knackered knackers on instagram is probably the best place i also have a website knackernackers.com um so either of those uh ping me a message or an email the, the website has an anonymous forum so if you're not ready to put yourself out there or to follow or to dm someone and, and kind of with, with your name then i was there i get that um so that's why the, the website has that that function uh, so you can join anonymously and there's various different sections on there 
to cover anything, even if it's, for example, not male infertility, but you're trying to support your partner who is going through it, then that, that's covered on there. As you said, Alice, I'm, I'm trained to do the coaching. So I work with people on a one-to-one basis and, and really help them navigate through this and living a more positive life beyond as well. And to kind of, I'm conscious of time but I'll, I'll, for you, but I'll, I'll quickly, you'll remember who, who mentioned that. I also, obviously I described how I came to accept donor conception um, about my family, but also it was about looking inside myself and realizing who I am as a man, who I could be as a father. And obviously that directly applies to who could be as a mother. It's, I asked my wife, what was it that attracted her to me when we first got together? What made her want to, to marry me? Because I guarantee that when she first saw me, she didn't look me up and down and think, oh, he looks like he's got a very high sperm count. It's, <laughs> it's what makes me me. And that is what would make me a good father. It's all those other things. It's hard to let go of. It really is. But it, that genetic tie it, it is not the be all and end all. It's, it's who makes you you. It's your humor, your compassion, your empathy, your, your strength. And, and the fact that you're here shows how strong you are. And that is what will make you a wonderful mother. Oh, that's incredible, Sean. Thank you for sharing that. And also we should mention, and there is um, brilliant Becky who runs Paths to Parent Hub as well is um, a great place to go for anyone who is going through donor conception. Um, and you do get a discount on Paths to Parent Hub if you are a Life Raft member, I should mention that as well. Um, but yes, thank you so much. And is it knackered underscore knackers uh, on Instagram? Yes. Good. Okay. Just wanted to get that in. To make sure, sure. I, I forget that myself, but I think <laughs> it should find me anyway. And it's uh, quite unique. <laughs> but yeah, knackered underscore knackers. Knackered underscore knackers. Um, and this this uh, has been such a, a moving and interesting conversation. So massive thanks to you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's so, so needed. And we are lucky to have you in the fertility world and the coaching world, in fact. So yes, thank you so much, Sean. And um, thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. It's been a pleasure.